Cyber Synapse, the podcast that's creating connections through candid conversations about cyber issues. Sponsored by Agency, with your host, Kath Nibbs. Hi, welcome to this week's episode. This week I'm joined by Laura Higgins from the Revenge Porn Helpline. This week we are discussing revenge porn. And this is a topic which Laura and I go into, and Laura really, really describes very, very well. Um, it was a podcast that was aptly timed um, as during the last week, uh, BBC uh, in the, the Northern region, BBC Look North, actually uh, did a piece on the statistics around the number of cases that end up with prosecutions and um, convictions. So what, what we kind of discuss is what revenge porn actually is. And for those of you who are regular listeners, you will know that this was a, a, um, an issue that was challenged with um, Susan McLean when she said that actually we need to change the language around this. So that's the very first thing that we go into is why the language definition of this particular offence is so difficult. Um, it's a really, really interesting conversation. We, we look at um, all of the different types of offences that take place, but also this happens to be in the last week, just as the bill for the upskirting uh, offence has been blocked. Um, and for those who don't know what upskirting is, it's where an image is taken from, usually from a mobile phone, um, as the name defines, up the skirt of an uh, unsuspecting vic- victim. Um, obviously, uh, this tends to be um, male on female uh, offences when, when you look at actually how this happens. However, when we talk about revenge porn today, we actually discuss about how this affects men too. Um, and that's been my experience in working in um, the therapy practice, is it's males that I've dealt with that seem to have um, a really big impact on this as well. So what I'm going to do is just give you a little bit of light background reading if you're interested. Um, Gavin De Becker wrote a book called The Gift of Fear. And in this book, he talks about the two fears that we, we have as our main fear based on our gender, if you like. And he talks about the fear that women have that's, that's always on, the, on their mind is the fact that they might be attacked and raped. And for men, it's to be humiliated. Um, and when you look at porn revenge, what you're looking at is pretty much the two fears that people have kind of feel like this. When, when I've sat with a lot of my victims, this is exactly uh, what they've actually described is for men, it's been about humiliation. Um, it might be about the fact that people um, then may say something and ridicule them for the size of their genitalia, for how it looks, etc., etc. And for women, it pretty much feels like... Um, that the the that they have been raped i think that's how um it was described in the look north piece that that happened this last week and what's been really interesting is when i was doing the interviews for bbc the people who interviewed me clearly wanted to get um a story out of this issue but didn't quite understand what porn revenge was as an issue itself so i'm really really pleased to have done this episode with laura um she well she obviously knows her stuff. She absolutely ought to because it's her, her job. But if there was anybody to explain it, Laura does it absolutely lovely and really, really quite openly in this interview. Um, and to be perfectly honest, uh, I don't think there's um, any swearing in this episode, which, you know, you would think how people really experience this, that there might be a lot of swear words. But actually, uh, for once, uh, I maintained my dignity and didn't talk too much about what what victims actually say in the therapy room, which can be quite hard hitting. Um, again, if you're interested in more of these episodes, um, there's another topical um, issue coming up over the next few weeks. One that I have uh, attempted to address in certain ways um, in previous podcasts, but actually I'm going to be getting a lot more um, academics because there's there's quite a few of us that really really want to push forward regarding this particular issue. So I'm going to keep that as a, a carrot and stick temptation for you. Um, but head on over to www.patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash cyber synapse. 
and sign up to become one of my patrons you know make a monthly donation it can be a pound a dollar whatever denomination um, it is um, and this is to support me as an independent podcaster um, I'm looking to use trainees in um, media studies to come along and help with the the audio because I'm aware this is not a high quality podcast in terms of audio and if I can get you know a bit of support behind me then that allows me to go and help um, the younger generation and that is one of the things that I'm attempting to do as well um, provide a, a platform for young upcoming media um, students to come and practice their their skills it means that you will get a better audio for the the upcoming podcasts and obviously this is about a win-win situation not to quote Stephen Covey too much but there we are um, yeah please enjoy the the um, interview any comments that you've got please do come back to me um, message me email me you can find me via cybertrauma.com that's my website and you can send emails you can send questions you can you can even send um, topics that you'd like to be covered um, I do have a list as long as my arm however there may be things that I haven't considered so please do make this a social interaction in terms of that was that was what I intended for for cyber synapse um, Sorry, I've gone on again. Um, it seems to be in my repertoire. So if you're going to be a regular listener, um, you're going to have to put up with me, I suppose, unless maybe you put money into Patreon to keep me quiet. Okay. See you all next week. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to Cyber Synapse. This week, I'm joined by Laura Higgins. Laura Higgins is the online safety operations manager running two helplines and being an absolute goddess in, in the world of e-safety, um, further down south than I am at the moment. So um, today we're gonna to be talking about one particular topic, which is the revenge porn helpline. Um, and first of all, why do you do what you do, Laura? So I've been working in online safety for about eight years now. Um, I started by being somewhat addicted to social media. I was a very early adopter of Facebook um, mm -hmm. and now it's effectively my job to spend lots of time on social media. Um, yeah. But through running my first helpline, which is part of the UK Safer Internet Centre, it's a helpline that supports the children's workforce with online safety issues. Um, yeah. And quite early on, we started seeing the professionals themselves becoming victims of what we would now recognise as revenge porn. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so... Uh, for those who have listened, watched um, uh, the, the previous uh, podcast the other week where um, I was challenged about the, the phraseology of revenge porn, one of the things that I think we might do, uh, Laura, is let's discuss what revenge porn actually is and why that terminology is being used at the moment, but also what, what revenge porn actually is. For anybody who's listening and uh, watching, what, what is it? So effectively, it's people having their intimate or sexual photos or images, videos, content shared online on any platform or peer-to-peer -peer without their permission. Uh -huh. um, I think the media have given it a particular sort of um, story that they will regularly report on, which is uh -huh. girl meets boy. Girl foolishly sends pictures of herself by mobile phone to boy. They split up. He then shares them with his friends on Facebook. I think our experience is very, very different from that. Mm -hmm. um, and we'll go into talking about some of those sorts of cases and some of the trends that we see. Um, but we support everything from um, sextortion, um, an awful lot of, of, of hidden cameras, people being filmed without their knowledge, yeah. people being sexually assaulted on camera, people being drugged and then filmed on camera, stolen content, you name it, we see it. So that idea that, you know, girl sends a picture and puts herself in a silly situation really is far from the truth. Yeah. You mentioned the name. Now, this is a bit of an issue at the moment. So yeah. when we first came up with the name of the helpline, um, revenge porn had become a really big topic. It was talked about in the media a lot. Um, we'd been doing some campaigning and lobbying and certainly when I first went to government to talk to them about the issue that was a term that they were using um, uh, and it is referenced when we were talking to the Ministry of Justice when we were talking about legislation again it was something people could recognize yeah um, so we we kind of said well we need a name for a helpline that people will know what it is something explains what we do that if they google it what would be the first thing they would look for we spent weeks and weeks working with our funders at the government and their press and comms teams around what's appropriate. And of course, anything that's around privacy would invite 
lots of, of non-cases. Um, it wasn't very specifically a women's issue because we get a lot of male clients. Um, and so the term revenge porn, we knew that was what people generally at that time were looking for. Mm -hmm. uh, we really support the movement to review that. We, we don't recognize it as, which we'll talk about in a minute, exactly summing up what the issue is because it is so much broader. Quite often there is no element of revenge. It could be a complete stranger doing it for no reason. And yeah. it's also not porn. But the reality is a lot of the content is put on porn sites. Mm -hmm. And so that's something we need to work through. Um, I think the preferred term at the moment is image-based abuse or image-based sexual abuse. And we do use those terms of a way of kind of encapturing a bit more what the behavior is. Um, but obviously in terms of renaming the helpline, it's, it's a bit tricky at the moment because non-consensual yeah. image-based abuse helpline isn't really that catchy. It's, yeah, and also we'd be going into the world of acronyms and then you take away from wh what it is you're trying to achieve really. And I, 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 it, is, it is easy for people to understand. So the, the very fact that pornography conjures up an, in, uh, an image for people of sexual activity, that, that kind of really does what it says on the tin. Um, and, and yeah, I'm I'm quite interested in the, the idea of image-based abuse. So I, I think this was what's been on my mind since doing the other podcast is I look at other kinds of images, so graphic images, yeah. and actually that would be image-based abuse, but it doesn't it doesn't mean the same thing. So I think the word sexual might need to be in there. And then yeah, whether whether people recognise sexual abuse and, and this is one of the things that happens in my therapy room is um quite often I will talk to people about trauma and people will assume trauma is an earthquake or what happened at the Manchester arena and, and trauma is something very singular and it's a story and it's the same for kind of these these words around sexual abuse is what people will assume well that wasn't actually sexual abuse because it didn't and, and uh, we're, we're tapping into stereotype stereotypes and prejudices yeah. don't we um, I'm going I'm to throw one incident and it's quite shocking. So sorry for your, for your viewers, um, mm -hmm. but we are supporting, we actually support quite a lot of celebrities. Now that in itself gets us quite a lot of bad press because people say, well, they should, they should be able to get a lawyer. But when we talk about celebrities now in the UK, mm. we're talking about people who have been on the television. They yeah. probably in a lot of cases still live at home with their parents. They still have a part-time job. They just happen yeah. to have a reality TV show. If they're very lucky, they might get a few magazine covers. Um, or even people who are not actually on the television, but are kind of Instagram celebrities or YouTubers, that kind of thing. Yeah. So in the public eye, but they're not wealthy. They, they don't have access to private solicitors to, to do DCMA notices for them and to get injunctions. Yeah. Um, and it's really interesting because some people really kind of say, well, they don't deserve any, any support. You know, they've probably bought it on themselves because they're putting themselves out there. And um, one case in particular we're working with, she is absolutely beautiful. Um, she was on a very well-known reality TV show mm -hmm. probably about five years ago. Um, she's done swimwear modeling since then. She's done kind of lingerie underwear, underwear stuff but you know not not even kind of topless you know still still but you know she's there's a lot of images out there and she is beautiful so you can see why there would be a desire to go and look for more content yes you became a victim and there have been hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pictures of her shared by an ex-partner um very abusively but a lot of it is sexual content that was shared between them um you know either stuff that was taken consensually at the time Mm -hmm. um, but in amongst all of these photographs is a picture of her having just given birth to her child in hospital. There was nothing sexual about that. It's a very private and intimate moment. Yeah. It shows her naked. But if we're to look at image-based sexual abuse, there was nothing sexually abusive about sharing that picture. There's no sexual motivation. It's not going to turn people on looking at it. They're just going to see the vagina. Um, and so I think, you know, even using that term, she's yeah. very, very much abused. It's very harmful. It's, it's harassment. It's all sorts of things. But yeah. is, is it sexual abuse in that context? And I think we need to be really careful sometimes about what the term is. Absol well, absolutely. I think one of the, uh, and again, I'm just going to go with some of the children. Obviously, there is a slight difference here is I tend to work with younger children. And obviously, the, the helpline is, although it's 18 plus, uh, we'll talk about that in a moment, actually. Um, I'm working with young children and even in 
their underwear, it is still sexual abuse when it, it you know, so we, we do get into the complications of what, what's lawfully descriptive and what's also the phenomenological descriptive. So a person's experience of what's happened and it's, it's about how they, uh, this is about the impact of it, isn't it? This is why um, quite often I, I talk about cyberbullying being a phenomena. It isn't actually just one thing and it can happen just the once because if a person's affected just the once, then they have been cyberbullied. And, and this is this is kind of where I um, pretty much argue, and I'm sure you know I do this, Laura, that I do argue with people that it's not a repeated event. And for one person to have one image, actually that can have a devastating effect. And yeah, yeah, I can kind of see why there's so, it's such a broad brushstroke this in terms of how you would label it. And I'm, I'm just drawn to the issues that we talk about. So yesterday I was at a, a cyber group, the word cyber, where does that, you know, we've changed from cyber to electronic to back to cyber, back to digital, but yeah, I think it's just too difficult and the on, the on off. Uh, phenomena so I, I use different terminology I use corporeal and virtual to mean real mm -hmm. and that which we view um, uh, and again even that uh, you know scientifically and academically there is no difference for how a brain perceives it as well yeah. so and increasingly for young people oh I mean, yeah. interesting that you say about the definition so in the UK we have now got legislation that came in in April 2015 yeah. um, which is around um, disclosing private images with an intent to cause distress. So we'll come back to the law later because that's a good debate to have. Um, and yeah. that, that, in that idea around intent to cause distress. Um, but it's very, very finite in what it does. Um, yeah. We were part of a working group when they were looking at reviewing it and introducing the law. Um, in fact, I was with Maria Miller and we first drew up a draft um, which would have been under the Sexual Offences Act. And it actually sat within voyeurism. And we felt that that was really appropriate. It would have had a four-year custodial sentence. Um, it wouldn't automatically mean people signing onto a sex offenders register, but in some most serious cases it would. Yeah. Um, and we really felt that that summed it up and it sat comfortably. That's not how it ended up being. Um, it's under the general criminal justice. It carries a maximum of two years sentence. And we've never really seen anyone get anything like that yet. But it doesn't include um, underwear, it doesn't include swimwear, it doesn't include um, photoshopped images, which is, is an awful lot of abuse. It is yeah. really, really finite. So our helpline is not like that. So as you said, it's, sometimes it's about the perception. So yeah. clearly a lot of the images we deal with are very sexual in nature or they're very private in nature. But we will also support particularly women from different communities so different ethnic backgrounds, people from Muslim communities, particularly, yeah. where they, they may be dancing provocatively, but fully clothed. Um, they may be showing a little bit of cleavage. But yeah. in the community, that, that could be, you know, enough to get death threats. So from our point of view, it's about that intention. The person is sharing it to cause them harm, to harass them, to abuse them online. Um, and, to that, and to that person, they feel that that shamefulness, which we're always trying to fight, but we would tackle that in exactly the same way as we would a fully naked picture of somebody, um, even if the law may not back that up. Yeah, yeah. We work, we work with a lot of social media companies around helping them with policy and reporting and how they tackle these issues. And most of them now have also broadened their remit. So. Um, when we're talking about non-consensual images being posted or the non-consensual posting of images, um, it will include people in lingerie, people in swimwear, if it is yeah. clear that it has been taken in a private setting and it isn't there for professional modelling or something like that. Um, yes. so that's a really positive step forward. Yeah, um, I did just want to say, actually, um, so one of the things I do in my podcast is I talk about everybody else's podcasts that I listen to. Um, so there is a philosopher and neuroscientist that I listen to called Sam Harris. Not so, I think it was, it might have been about two podcasts ago. He did one on about um, honour. Um, so uh, the conversation that he had with somebody was about honour-based killings and honour-based murder. And actually, this is, this is where we need to start looking at. Actually, this is not just... Um, white middle-class person who's taken an image in their bedroom or young girl who has been uh, potentially groomed. This is about varying levels of cultural, religious beliefs and action as well. So this, this idea of what's, what's considered appropriate and inappropriate is, is very much a, a debate in its own right. And obviously I don't want to go down that route because that's rather philosophical. And I did that last week. Um, 
so I'm just thinking about, yeah, how how people would actually happen upon um, their own images. So I'm just thinking about how people would actually come into contact with you um, and what can be done about it. Because I think these are the two important things that I, I really definitely want to get into this podcast is what happens when you come across an image that you think might be you or has been shared? And then what do you do about it? How, how do people come to you? What do you do as a helpline and how does it work? Thank you. So we have had so many different ways that people have become aware they know that the content's there. So the first thing is, as I say, the media would have you believe that all the content's posted on Facebook. Well, mm -hmm. less than 10% of our content that we report is actually on social media. Yeah. The threat to share is about 25% of our cases. And that threat will always be, if you don't do what I say, or if you don't come back to me, or I'm going to shame you, you'll never get a job again, I'm going to put it all over Facebook. So mm -hmm. the threat will always be about social media, but it is rarely on social media. Yeah. So sometimes it is literally that the perpetrator says, oh, you might want to go and check this platform because you're all over it. You know, and quite often that is part of the intimidation and the harassment. Um, sometimes there, there was quite a big movement some time ago, which thankfully seems not to be so prevalent now, but getting third parties involved and getting bystanders to harass the victim. So they would say to people, here's that person's email or here's that person's Twitter or Facebook, go DM them um, and tell them that you've seen their content. And so not only does this person find out their images are online, but they've got complete strangers going, oh, I thought I'd better tell you, I've seen your pictures or even I think you're beautiful or even somebody told me where you live, I'm going to come around and see you. You know, yeah. that real intimidation stuff. Um, it does happen that, so for example, there was a big phenomenon about something called Anne and IB, which were image boards. Thankfully, they've now been shut down, which is amazing. Yeah. Uh, but they were basically locality based. So every town in the UK pretty much had a board that was sharing images, guys anonymously sharing images of girls. Yeah. They were selling them for Bitcoin. They were trading them. They were kind of upgrading, going, oh, do you remember that girl from school? She was really fit. I've got pictures of her sister. Let's trade. You know, it was just a really strange phenomena. But when a few girls would find out they were on the board, suddenly everyone would realise they were all being talked about and shared or being requested images of. Or, um, and so that was kind of girls supporting other girls with, did you know you're on here? Let's all try to group together to support one another. Yeah. When people stumble across content, it's possibly the rarest but the most difficult for them. So we had one really difficult case where a husband found what he thought was a video of his wife with somebody else. Mm -hmm um very very explicit video of them having anal sex mm -hmm. um he basically threatened to divorce her on the spot because he said well you've never done that with me and actually ended up coercing her in a very abusive relationship into engaging in sexual activity with him that she didn't want to um but yeah that was really really difficult um particularly because it turned out that it wasn't her um but it looked like her. She believed. Absolutely. She genuinely believed it was her. And she, you know, she'd had quite a difficult relationship many years before. Um, we've had um, cases where people have found, particularly around the photoshopping, it's a really strange phenomena where, you know, they, they will find pictures of themselves on different platforms just because, oh, well, I just Googled myself. I was at work and I did an online safety session and they said to do an image search or do a Google yep. search. And then they have found this content. Um, what I would say is to reassure people, it's generally not a scattergun effect. You know, if your images are out there, it's not that they're going to be on, you know, McDonald's website and that they're going to be, you know, on the tube station and everyone yeah. can see it. And I think for some people, they're just like, everyone's going to know. Well, okay, in a, it, perhaps in an in a, in a, um, education establishment or somewhere where it might be seen as fair game that we're all going to share it and laugh at the person and ridicule them. But actually, for most adult victims, that's not what happens. Yes. Um, it is put on, it could be that it's on lots and lots of sites, but there probably are on lots and lots of porn sites. Yeah. I don't know about you, but for me, in my professional life, I have to go on an awful lot of porn sites. But in my personal life, not so much. So the chances of me seeing images of my friends is pretty slim you know i might be doing it through work yeah um so that's one of the first things we say to people is look i know you know that there's a lot of content there but unless people are looking for it they're less likely to find it the search engines have done a really good job now of blacklisting a lot of those sites so if i were to just search my name 
plus the word nudes or naked video or something, it would not turn up results. Yeah. And any of the sites that host uh, that are dedicated to hosting content, they've all been blacklisted. So yeah, you might have to go on the dark web or you might have to have a specific URL to find them. Yeah. But, but it's, not, it's not literally that naming and shaming that it was a few years ago. Um, so then you asked about, so my helpline. So somebody's been told there's some content. Yep. Um, I think the first thing is to just acknowledge, and this fits beautifully with all the work you do, Kath, but is around um, the impact, the initial impact on the clients. Um, most of the time when they come to us, they have just found out. They are absolutely distraught. Yep very traumatized it is that really first stage trauma um they haven't even had chance to process it or what it might mean or you know we are a long way from the angry phase or the action phase they are just very much yeah yeah so i think you know they would in a lot of cases so we we're about to send out a report which i'll make sure you have so you can share it with all your listeners and lovely lovely Um, i like reports lots of stats so it's an annual report of the last year but it does show that you know the majority of people are still contacting us by email i think it's because actually talking about what's happened can be quite traumatizing in itself um although some people do still prefer that sort of cathartic talking through it at their own pace so they would contact us and i think in the first place we kind of reassure them about you're not the first person it's happened to we can support you you are not on your own we're not judging you no you are a victim of a crime and that's where we start because for a lot of people they immediately internalize it and say i've done something wrong i've been shamed i'm shameful i've done i've acted in a behavior that's shameful um before they've even considered the fact that maybe they were coerced into it or you know weren't actually consenting in the process to begin with um we then talk through what their legal rights are so we do have access to some free legal advice with our partners at the legal advice center which is part of queen mary's university um, they are trainee solicitors and as part of their training they have to deliver pro bono they are an amazing group of people and they're so passionate about this subject yeah um, so they donate their time and they will talk through what people's rights are in terms of injunctions and takedowns and things like that and then they can assist in acquiring um, barristers should it should it get to that stage so that's wonderful yeah we talk through what should happen with the police i'm going to speak very carefully now mm-hmm. um police response is very poor for this topic um a huge amount of victim blaming our clients are still regularly told well it's your fault you shouldn't share the image what do you think we're mm-hmm. going to do about it why would we waste our resources on something like this um oh you don't want us you want the internet police you know all those sorts of things we hear all the time from clients yeah but we will encourage them to go and complain we will encourage them to go back and make another report and where possible we will support them with that Uh, so things like making sure that they've taken screenshots they have evidence um you know some advice around how not to impede an investigation so not retaliating not getting into a flame wall with the person who's making threats that kind of thing Um, And just general advice, which is helpful to share now, I guess, around, you know, just write down some notes before you go to the police. When you turn up at a police station, hysterical, they're going to hear every third word you say. Uh uh, And the minute that they hear anything about photos on the Internet, they're probably not going to stop. They're not going to listen. So we talk through with them. You know, these are the salient points you need to take with you that have a chronology to pick out the important bits and take a breath. Calm down before you go. Um, and I think that's really empowering for people they get a much better response when they're really clear we do generally say tell them that you're talking to us and we're really happy to talk to them if they would like that Um, there's nothing like a bit of advocacy (laughs) yeah absolutely Um, and you know so a lot of our clients don't want to go to the police and this is something that you know police find quite difficult and the media definitely don't find difficult to understand sometimes the actual content was posted such a long time ago but they've only just found out they don't Mm -hmm. stir up trouble they don't want to piss the person off again um you know they they're worried of retribution maybe they've moved on and the other person's moved on you know and they actually they're like well okay you were angry then but there's no point in causing a hassle now for you um there is no right to anonymity for victims because it is not under the sexual offenses act 
they don't have an automatic right so they're very fearful and while a lot of work's been done around media outlets not reporting names of victims there's nothing stopping it happening and we have had some very high profile cases um, in fact we had one case where um, a woman had an affair um, they worked for a very big organization the partner found out and basically posted some content of the two of them um, he went to court mm -hmm. but because they worked for this big organization it was fair game to name both of them and doorstep them and post pictures of her on the front of a national newspaper now where she lived was a very small place and everybody knew who she was um, you know really really awful but it didn't breach any publication sort of standards it didn't breach IPCC or anything like that so um, that was a really really difficult case to deal with um, thankfully right to be forgotten has now helped with some of that because we you know it, it now we can say well that's not in the public interest that's a very private matter that's been dealt with and it was a criminal yeah. matter. this person is a victim of a crime therefore we've got a better chance now of getting it taken down so there's lots of reasons why they might not want the police but we'll talk through it and we will encourage where possible um, yeah. most of our clients what they really want is the content to be taken down and that's, Absolutely. Yeah. that's our kind of specialist area. Now it's interesting because we've talked a little bit about underage images and images of minors and the fact that they, the images themselves are illegal. So therefore organizations like our partners at the Internet Watch Foundation have yeah. a legal right and a legal duty to contact providers and say, you have to take that down. You're breaking the law if you don't. The minute you turn 18, the pictures aren't illegal. Yeah. So they, they can just ignore us if they want to, and we're not a statutory body. So this is a bit of a battle, and, and so we do have mixed results. There are some platforms who hate us. Um, I'm personally yeah. quite proud that there's a very, very nasty, nasty site that hosts quite a lot of illegal content as well, um, which I'm now banned from for a year. Um, so that's quite good. I must have really annoyed them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's like being blocked for standing up for your rights. Yes, yes. absolutely. Yeah. Um, but you know, we, we've kind of learnt the language to use. We try not to come across as too confrontational with those platforms, yeah. you know? It is about saying, we're here speaking on behalf of a victim. This image has been reported without, uh, has been posted without the permission. It has been reported to the police where that's necessary. Or sometimes, of course, they were perhaps a minor when the image was taken, they might be an adult now, um, in which case we have a bit more clout. Um, but in most cases, it is a very nice look. We're acting on their behalf. They've asked us to take it down. Could you take it down, please? Thanks very much. Um, quite often, some of those sites who are a bit more problematic, they might not engage with us in a dialogue, but they might still take it down. Um, we have roughly around 70 to 75% success in our reports which compared to my other helpline which deals with um non-image based abuse um yeah. 98 takedown but that's much more straightforward because it's in line with social media policies yes. we're now dealing yeah. with we're dealing with um you know really obscure porn sites in southeast asia uh, or russia or places like that so to have that level of takedown is really good um an interesting thing for us i think has been around working with porn sites so some of the biggest porn sites they host huge amounts of this content now it's difficult yeah. because they would say we don't want people to be abused we you know it's not it's not our remit to have that um, content posted without consent so when it's reported they take it down very quickly um, in fact Pornhub do put up a banner when they take content down that says this video was removed at the request of the revenge porn helpline which I think is a really good statement um, but that said, we're having constant dialogue with them because they still have categories um, that people can choose that have things like voyeurism, ex-girlfriend, revenge shots, um, getting back at my ex, all those sorts of things. They're just feeding yeah. a desire for this kind of content and kind of normalizing it. So yeah. that conversation continues, but at least we can reassure clients, you know, because I think for a lot of people, the thought that they're on that kind of site and that they're having 30,000 people viewing their content and getting off on their content is just absolutely horrific. You know, it, it's so hard to get your head around that. Yeah. So for us to say, look, don't panic, they will take it down really quickly. That just offers that little bit of reassurance and, and safety for them. Yeah, because I'm aware that they're obviously like, like you, for the stuff that you have to look at in work and, and work time, it's, believe you me, I am cats and flowers on a weekend. That's, that's kind of what I try and feel. So it's almost like the antithesis of everything that I have to deal with during the week. Yeah. Um, 
but there, there is something about so I'm, I'm what did happen when you were talking and you said actually so the images come in and blah 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 I just thought actually this is why this is why I have the the issue about the phenomena of cyberbullying so what you talked about was somebody that was being stalked somebody that was being all of the different categories that we have that may not be classed as cyberbullying actually this is a form of cyber-based bullying yeah. And again, I was just listening as you were talking and I was like, well, there's sextortion, there's coercive relationship because the person had thought that it was his wife. Then there was sexual abuse. Then there was actually these categories just get broader and broader and broader. Yes. Um, and right at the very center of this is a human being who did not consent. Yeah. And it's, it's all about what. And, and I think we were into that, that word consent. And I'm going to say, actually, this is why I'm such an advocate of teaching consent with toddlers, young children at school, you know, and, and all the way through, because I think that's the bit that we might be mis misconstruing at the moment about when people say, us, well, actually... Us too. That's, that's a massive part of our drive. That's exactly what we're talking about. It's not talking about revenge porn with kids. It's about talking about respecting one another and yeah. consent, what consent genuinely means more than just, oh, well, I asked if we could have sex once, you know? Um, that's that's a really difficult thing. It's it is it is that really base level of, of respect. Um, yeah, so that's really important. We do work obviously very closely with lots of other support organisations. So we do signpost on. So, you know, you mentioned stalking and harassment. That's a huge amount. It's so interlinked with mm. phenomena. Mm -hmm. um, and so we have a great relationship with the stalking helpline. Um, we, we've worked with that for years, actually. And quite often the clients will come to us and they have no idea. They can't recognize what's happening to them as stalking. So all yeah. my team actually have had training and have ongoing CPD around recognizing and talking about it. And, you know, that kind of first stage of supporting the client. Um, and of course, then when the penny drops, they kind of see it as big, part of the bigger picture. But we do make sure that they're getting all the right advice yeah. from the right organisations. Again, we work with victim support. We work with all the domestic abuse charities, all of those sorts of things to make sure that people get everything. We also engage with more specialist organisations. So things like honour-based violence organisations, yeah. specific support networks for Muslim girls and women, um, male violence and LGBT issues yeah. as well, because obviously... Yeah. You know, sometimes people need to talk to people who know a bit more specifically what, the, what their particular issue is. One of the things we didn't talk about, and I think is really worth mentioning, people don't often understand what it is. They know on the top level, okay, so somebody phones the helpline, you help them take content down. But what I hear and what I work through with my team is for their trauma. Yeah. So my team are amazing. You know, I'm so proud of them. And they are resilient, they are strong, they're funny, they're feisty, they will fight for the clients and the clients come away feeling empowered. Yeah. Actually, the trauma that the clients have to go through, spending eight hours a day looking at porn and that really graphic and really, really, really hardcore porn sites. So the content yeah. that we're looking for, and that's the bit that I think people don't realise is the client might have found five photos. But when we start looking, we will find hundreds of copies of that where it's been shared everywhere. And my team, yep. we don't have a magic wand. We don't have a technical solution that does that. My team manually have to go and look for content. You know, they're, they're much like the analysts on the Internet Watch Foundation in that context. It's exhausting. And it's not so much, as I say, the content that they're looking for might be fairly innocent comparatively. But the other content on these sites can be really really difficult and of course we regularly yes. do stumble across child abuse material that we have to then report um you know violent content just really really unpleasant and i think you know i don't get to shout enough about it but to say you know my team don't run a call center we're not customer service advisors they do a really good job and and i just kind of want to shout out that really and i think you know, I think our clients on the whole do really understand and appreciate it. And sometimes we have a bit of attachment issues where we have to work through that as well, you know. Um, but, you know, I think it, it, the whole topic around this is very, very difficult. Um, you know, about a quarter of our clients are men, and that's not talked about either. But the misogyny, yeah. the, the vitriol that's aimed towards women on these platforms is really hard to under, understate, really. Yeah, well, yeah, well, I mean, the, the, you're talking, you're talking my language now, because this is the cyber trauma. This is how cyber trauma actually came to, to um, my, I don't even know. Oh, I can remember how it happened, actually. Um, so that the story of how I came up with cyber trauma was to do with, I was looking for, I was doing a presentation on peer to peer grooming in uh, about 2011, 2012. 
and I happened to come across a page where there were images that I was traumatized by. And recently I've just had this happen on 13 Reasons Why. So there was a sexual assault scene and I, I, I sat and I was going, what the, yeah, what the, W-A-T-A-T-A-T-A-T-A-T-A-T-A-T-A-T-A-T-A-T-A-T-A-T-A-T-A-T-A-T-A-T-A-T-A-T-A-T-A-T-A-T-A-T-A-T-A-T-A-
hmm, I wonder what training police get in dealing with image-based abuse like this. And so we interviewed about 286 police officers. Mm -hmm. Rather unsurprisingly, I think only two or 3% of them had ever had any training in how to deal with this issue. So 90 plus something had never had any training in what this was or how to deal with it. And then we asked them how confident they felt in investigating it. Well, mm -hmm. they didn't. And then we talked about would they know how to gather evidence to take this forward if it was going to be a prosecution? And they didn't. And we were really grateful that the police were so honest. You know, they kind of went, you know, we feel really bad because we know that this is a growing issue. We want to be able to support victims, but we haven't yeah. got a clue where to start. So I'll share that with you. Um, a conversation to be had with College of Policing around how important this is. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say, um, actually, and, let's, let's attack the college. <laughs> um, and, you know, it is, it is about, you know, getting, getting the right people. Because I think, as I say, you know, it's the frontline stuff. It's not about this going to some chief inspector who goes, oh, yes, that's going to be a policy area for us. It's about those frontline people who have the crying victim to just go, you don't deserve this, you're a victim, let's help you. That's, that's yeah. what we need to change. Um, I know we're running out of time already. Um, sextortion, just briefly mentioned, because yeah. there's been quite a lot in the news quite recently around it. Um, so we're part of a working group with the National Crime Agency. So yay for the police on this bit of work. Um, yes. I'm not always down on them. They, they do do a good job, um, under-resourced, all of that stuff. Um, but sextortion, when it's organized crime gangs, this is quite a big issue and we have seen a huge rise in numbers in the last few weeks yeah so it's something something out of interest for us um yeah it's really really peaked it's more than doubled in the last few weeks we don't know why um but these are cases where it's either a completely unsolicited email which is the latest thing we're seeing we've had quite a lot of people coming to us saying i've had an email somebody's told me that they filmed me on a porn site um, pleasuring myself and now they're demanding money um, and I had one gentleman who was very confused because he said he hadn't even been on a porn site so I had to explain it was a completely spam email um, and yeah. just report it and delete it but people are actually falling foul of that um, as an extortion scam obviously the ones we predominantly deal with are they've met they've been groomed themselves yeah. by somebody quite often on it used to be on media but actually now it's moving towards dating sites um, where they're being contacted by these people very quickly they're being talked into going onto Skype or another webcam um, they perform consensually in a sex act with this other person and then the other person yeah. very quickly says actually I'm not that pretty young lady you've been talking to I'm a man and if you don't give me 10 grand 30 grand in one case 500,000 pounds because it was a famous person um, then we're going to expose you to all of your contacts who we have because you friended us on Facebook um, yeah. You know, we deal with a lot of those cases. A lot of them are based in the Ivory Coast, Tunisia, Morocco, places like that. Philippines is a huge area. Sadly, we've had a lot of high profile cases resulting in suicide in the UK. This is a really, really serious issue. So, you know, again, when we're talking about advice and things like that, don't pay, call the police, call us, don't panic. Um, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, do you know, one of the people I actually want to interview is um, Julia von Weiler um, around, because I, I, obviously I know she does the sextortion, but I also know uh, one of the other people in Germany, that because Germany, are, are for me, Germany is the place to be for e-safety and, and kind of what's happening there. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I've seen that in a, a film, a documentary. Um, I think I might have. It, yeah, actually, there is something about people's um, cameras being hacked and so on, but also sometimes it's bullshit and th this is the thing that that human beings buy into don't they is oh, it could so so there's something around the fear driven crime organization and we yeah it was it was a conversation yesterday but i'm not going to talk about it on the podcast mm -hmm. um in terms of you know the the new trends that are popping up are really really interesting mm -hmm. um, uh, but obviously we can do that, that that's kind of fill under the <laughs> <laughs> yes, actually, though, I'd love to do a part two on this one, uh, Laura, in terms of, you know, what, what people might come back to me with emails, messages, conversations. Um, sometimes this will sit there for a few months before people come back. And hopefully this will add on to something that, that was aired last week, because I'm going to say last week, because it will have been last week yes. by now. <laughs> and then, obviously, we'll see where this goes from there. And, and obviously, yeah, the, the College of Policing, I actually said yesterday, they need the the cyber training from cyber professionals yes. not 
not so much cyber e-safety or cyber security, but actually the victims who feed into yeah. our knowledge that feed to kind of the, the level of policing. Um, but, you know, I hold out hope. Uh, maybe I'll hashtag and maybe we'll, we'll see them on Twitter. See, see, what we, see what we can get. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay, then. Yes, we are. I mean, yeah, we've done, we've done what, 45 minutes? So <laughs> yeah, there goes the half an hour again. <laughs> so is there anything you would like anybody to know? Um, I'm going to put your details in. Um, so if you're happy, your Twitter handle, yep. uh, the outline details, the report that you're going to send over. Um, anything else that you would like to say or you'd like think, people to know? Um, this podcast predominantly for professionals. You know what? Don't assume you know what it is because we don't and we see different cases every day, different circumstances. It is not the same for everybody. So yeah. in the same way as if we were working with young people around these sorts of topics, listen, don't judge, let the people tell you their story and work with them at their pace around what's happening. Um, and yeah. if you have any questions, do get in touch with us. That's what we're here for. You know, we're really happy. We want, we all want to be upskilled and my team needs to be upskilled. We do lots of reciprocal training with other organizations to make sure that we're all on message, you know. So if you want to talk about it, if you have any questions, if you're not sure, just give us a shout and we'll do what we can to help. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you ever so much for your time, Laura. And, you know, um, as, as Laura says, anybody get in touch. If I don't know the answer, I tend to start and post people on. And obviously, this is something that I deal with in terms of therapy and the victims. Uh, I can't see everybody, which is why I tend to signpost and say there are these people. Um, and again, I am just going to make a slight note that there's not many counsellors and psychotherapists trained or who understand in this and that's my that's my kind of life goal at the minute is to teach them as well because this is going to come into so many therapy rooms um and not just psychosexual therapists either yeah, so i agree yeah I will, I will leave that slight little rant at the end there and uh, I'll, I'll just thank thank again thank you so much for your time laura no thank you and thank you for raising all these topics it's really important all right thank you